Tonight, where can you turn to beat inflation? You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. It seems so simple, Steve, right? You look back at history, you look back at the data, and it shows that time and time again, the one place to be invested to outpace inflation is the stock market. Um, but when things are all over the place, um, it seems like we just kind of throw all the facts out the window. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, stocks are, are a place to beat inflation, but I, I, it's hard to jump out of your seat and say, hey, here's everything I've got. Put it on the market when things are down, yeah. you, you know? So it, it, it is so counterintuitive to, to buy into the market when you've seen your statement go down, down, down. But, you know, that's usually the, the best time uh, to, to buy. And, and last week, Deutsche, Deutsche Bank, one of the biggest banks in the world, might be the biggest, uh, they surveyed investors, which, by the way, I'd like to know where they found these investors, because they said property, these investors that were surveyed said real estate, not equities, not stocks, will be their most preferred buy and hold asset class if inflation stays elevated. I think, though, from one standpoint, this makes sense, because you have this knee-jerk reaction to everything that's going on around you, and property is something that you can touch and feel. Yeah. And the stock market, your 401k, the pieces of these businesses that you own, it's a concept, right? It's not like right in front of your face. So I do understand how during times like this, you can say, I'm just going to buy property, right? I'm going to buy real estate. I'm going to invest in my home. I'm going to invest in whatever, a sure. second piece of property. What you're missing out on is, again, we we just look back at history, right? We're not telling you what the right call is, but we're going to give you some analysis on what makes the most sense. Typically, Holding in or holding um, real estate barely outpaces inflation, right? Three percent, four percent, and this is going back to the 1930s. That's what kind of appreciation you see when you buy real estate. Well, I, I think everybody, Amy, has a story, and I, I've got one with my parents. In the early 70s, they bought a four-bedroom house, and you know we're talking lower to middle class at best uh, incomes. Uh, one mile from the ocean, one mile from the beach in in New Jersey. Uh, this would be like 1972 for thirty thousand yeah. dollars. I, I, I mean, you know, when when you hear stories like that, and what is that house worth today? I, it's like, wow. Why? I wish I can go back. Do you in know? Time. I Do wish you know I what that house is worth it. today? I have no. Idea. It's it's got to be around five six hundred thousand. Oh I, yes, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. Easily. Absolutely. But what you don't take into account, of course, when you tell those stories, right? My family has the same one, the house that my parents built on Hillside Drive in Wilder, Kentucky, um, when I was born and they paid $28,000 for it, uh, you know, and it's worth, you know, 160 or 180,000. Actually, I haven't looked, you know, in several years, but worth a lot more than that. Of course, what you're not thinking is the taxes that you pay over the years, the renovations. How many times did you go to Lowe's Home Depot um, and put a new landscaping and paint and all of those things. And so it's really easy, I think, when you're talking about real estate to say, this is what I bought it for. This is what it's worth now or what I could sell it for. You're missing a lot of context between those two dates. Well, and and there's an old saying in financial planning that you can't eat the bricks. I mean, so what if it's worth, you know, instead of 30000 it's worth 600000 if you sell it at six hundred thousand, you're buying another house, probably for six hundred thousand. Sure. What, what you know? What what did what did that accomplish? It kept pace with inflation, maybe. But realistically, can you do anything with that money? Can you cash it out to to go ahead and buy a car, as an example? 
you know, well, no, I still need a house. But you can cash out investments. I, I think the reason that you see equities, that you see stocks perform so well in a high inflationary environment is, yeah, their cost of goods are increasing, but they can raise prices. Yes. And that's part of, unfortunately, that's part of that cycle of inflation. And, and, you know, it could be a vicious cycle like the late 70s, early 80s. But it's one area where you can see profit margins maintain as long as consumers are willing to pay the increased prices of whatever company's stock you happen to be uh, examining. Now, now that's 43% said property. 33% did say developed market equities, which is a fancy way of saying, yeah, big, safe company stocks. You know, and, and that's nice to see. Yeah, because that's what history shows us, right? Yeah. That's that's the correct answer if you want to look back on what has helped. But I'm not surprised these other responses, right? 43% you said just equity, 15% gold. Where does that come from? It, it is I the, don't get that. just the flock to the perception of safety that so many yeah. people have. You point to the one good year that gold has had over the past decade, and those are the statistics that get thrown around really often. I think the really interesting stat in all of this is, okay, when these investors were asked, okay, if inflation stays at this level, what are you going to buy and sit on 1%? said cryptocurrency. (laughs) I feel like cryptocurrency has kind of been put in its place, at least for now, right in the corner. So many people talking about it. It has just taken such a hit over the past year. And again, we're not against cryptocurrency at all. I think there's, um, you know, the the blockchain technology is absolutely going nowhere. But the fact that it's not regulated, the fact that it's not tied to anything, um, I think just has a lot of people struggling. And so it's just interesting when you look at this research and you look at what's going on on in the world right now where so many investors are falling. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC as we look at this new research out of Deutsche Bank where investors say, hey, this is where I'm going to put my money. This is where I'm going to buy and hold right now in this high inflationary market. Um, the number one answer being real estate. And, and just if you look back, right, taken in aggregate home values in the U.S., 4% average annual growth since 1991. During that same period of time, the S and P 500, seven and a half percent. It's just you can dice these numbers any way that you want to, Steve. But the answer always seems to come out the same. It, it does. And I, I've got to wonder. And again, I'm not a realtor. This is not my area of specialty. But, you know, with home prices just going nuts over the past couple of years and, and then in the last couple of months, we've seen mortgage rates go from as low as the, the mid 2% range to over 5%. It's got to have put some brakes on, on the real estate market to some degree. And, and you've got to wonder, okay, we've seen a huge amount of growth in prices. And, and, and is that going to slow down? Is it going to go backwards? I, I doubt if it'll go backwards, you, yeah. you know, but you've got to, anytime you see anything go up more than normal, and this includes stocks and bonds and everything else, when it goes up more than normal, it tends to correct, and if not go down, certainly plateau for a period of time uh, until everything eventually reverts to the mean. I, I mean, the long-term numbers tend to be the long-term numbers, so we'll see about real estate. So many people, though, have said, okay, where do we go this year, right? I mean, the stock market's getting hammered. The bond market is recovering, but it was getting hammered there for a while. Cryptocurrency, not the answer. 
one place, maybe one kind of bright spot if you want to look for one right now, has been dividend stocks yeah. so far this year. Um, and this is kind of a very old school way of investing, right? It used to be back in the day you would invest in dividend stocks and that you would take those dividends as payouts and, and live off of them. I, I, I remember playing Monopoly as a kid and asking, you know, my parents, what, what's a dividend? You know, yeah. when you get that chance card. I didn't know. They sure didn't know. But, you know, there are two types of stock. Well, you can break it down a lot more than two, but there's a major breakdown in types of stocks, growth stocks and value stocks. Growth stocks tend to be, I hate to call them the high flyers, but, you know, they're growing. These are companies that are taking every dime they make and reinvesting, reinvesting. into the company. Yeah, Research grow, 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 and grow, development, growth, grow. right. absolutely. And, and when there's a lot of excitement in the stock market, guess where most of the money's made? And, and we saw that, especially with technology stocks. Value stocks are boring. They're they're the dividend payers. They're the Procter and Gamble's of the, the world. The little engine that could, exactly. right? The chug, 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 yeah. but slowly, nothing sexy or flashy and, about and them. And what's really interesting, when, when you take a hard look at what growth stocks versus high dividend paying value stocks have done and when they've performed, they're almost mirror images of each other. Growth stocks go up, not much out of value stocks. Growth stocks stall out because people are tired of paying high prices for them. They start looking at the, the dividend payers, the boring value stocks. And they tend to go up. And it's, it's rarely both of them. It's usually one or the other. And I'll tell you what, value stocks, the dividend payers, didn't do a lot last couple of years. That started changing this year. You know, and if, let's talk about bonds, too, because I think there's so many people who, during a time like this, absolutely want to just go to bonds. Um, 2% said government bonds were the place to go to beat inflation. I-bonds, right? I-bonds yeah. are inflation bonds, are treasuries tied to the current inflation rate. Um, and the Treasury Department announced that, uh, that earlier, uh, I guess last month on May 2nd, um, that I-bonds over the next six months are going to earn close to 10%. Yeah, You look 6. at those numbers yeah. and heck yeah, like put me, let's go all in on that. Well, you have to understand how I-bonds work. Yeah, and I just got an email from someone on uh, Thursday of last week asking me if I knew about the, yeah, we've been talking about the these on, on the show and to anybody who, who asks me. Um, yeah, they're a really good deal when there's high inflation if you understand the negatives. And it's not just a gimme because these are these are basically savings bonds that are 30-year maturity bonds. Yeah, issued by the government, so I'm not real worried about uh, the risk side of it. But they are 30-year bonds and they do adjust every six months based on the current inflation rate. Now, we saw inflation in March at 6.6. April, it was at 6.3. Have we already seen peak inflation? Possibly. Uh, is inflation coming down? I hope so. So, you know, don't think this 9.6% is forever and ever. Every six months, it will change. You can only, I believe, electronically invest $10, maximum ten grand. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, you can't cash them out in the first year. Uh, in years uh, two through five, I believe you give up some of your interest. So there, there are pretty big restrictions on cashing out in the first five years. You know, go into it, go on the, the Treasury website, look into it. it. It may may work for some people out there, but go in with eyes wide open. It's not just a gimme, hey, I got something paying 9.6%. It's like a CD. No, it's really not like a CD. Yeah, and because you can only put $10,000 into it, right? You can't throw your entire retirement into yeah. something that, hey, this is going to definitely earn close to 10%. But so many people, like, we didn't talk about I-bonds for, for years on the show because they were just under the radar, right? Why would you want them? I mean, inflation was below 2%. Well, yeah. now that you talk about a guaranteed close to 9.6%. For six months. 
A lot of people are, yes, a lot of people are interested in that. In fact, the day after the Treasury Department announced that, the website crashed because there were so many people trying to buy them. I just think it all comes down to where do you go right now, right? In study after study, we'll show investors reacting in different ways and in trying to find different options because it doesn't feel great when you check your 401k. I get it. If you're checking your 401k regularly right now and every time you see it's going down, 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 but just last year, it was going up every time you checked it. It's not a great feeling. And I think this is where you have to remind yourself if you've got a plan, a long-term plan, you just stick with it. There's really no alternative. All things must pass in, in the market. It doesn't always go down. It doesn't always go up. We'll be fine. Here's the Simply Money point. History shows the stock market is still the best place to go to stay ahead of inflation long term. And if you need money right now because inflation is hurting your bottom line, one place you should avoid at all costs to get that money. We'll talk about it next. And some money advice from Dolly Parton. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovec. If you can't get Simply Money, if you can't listen to us every night, subscribe to our weekly podcast. It's the best of Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight ahead at 643, three legal ways to keep Uncle Sam away from your savings, your retirement nest egg. Dolly Parton. First of all, she's a national treasure. I don't think you can put a price tag on Dolly, but if you were going to, apparently she's worth about $350 million. She's done okay. She's done pretty okay. I don't think there's a person on this planet that has I've ever heard like a bad headline about this woman, no right? A bad story. She is yeah. just this treasure. And she actually credits her mother for her financial success. And it's interesting because the, the older Dolly gets, the more she's kind of handing out these sort of pearls of wisdom about kind of how she has built herself into this um, amazing music mogul that she is. But apparently the advice from her mother was always keep something back for you. And that's great advice. I, I, I mean, we talk about it, you know, on a regular basis about how adult children are just bleeding parents dry that are, you know, in retirement and giving money to their grown kids. And, and I, I, I think that's great advice. What, what I really, really appreciate about this, Amy, is we're talking about a, a family that grew up dirt poor. And when I say dirt poor, I mean dirt, dirt, floor poor. Yeah. Yeah, I have seen the house. Like I have seen, really? they have, yeah, uh, in Dollywood, in um, in Tennessee, okay. at the amusement park, they have moved the the house that Dolly grew up in. It is a one room, dirt floor house. Yeah, that she grew up. I mean, there, there's still some of the original books and I mean toys, if you want to call them that, um, that she grew up with. But she came from that again to be worth three hundred and fifty million dollars. And there's lots of stories out there that go the other way, right? People who made a lot of money but blew it all um, because they, they came from nothing and they just didn't have the tools necessary to make the smart decisions. Not Dolly, though. Well, yeah, you know, it, it's a again, it's a perfect example. I don't know what her education is, but I know she got right into the music industry in her early teens. I mean, she yeah. was... 14, 15, and playing on stages all around the South. And, you know, amazingly talented individual. Um, 3,000 songs. I mean, she's a prolific songwriter. I don't know what her education was, but it's a perfect example of you don't need to go to business school to, to understand the basics. I mean, our show is called Simply Money. The basics are relatively simple. And, and when her mom says, always keep something back for you, it means 
all right, you're going to have a lot of hangers on when when you you know achieve that kind of success. Don't give all your money to them. Don't support everybody that asks for a handout. Keep some money for you. Worry about yourself first, and then give away money. And she is a, a philanthropist. I mean, yes. she has given through away a lot of money over the years to to some extremely good causes, and and good for her. Yeah. And I also take that phrase, keep something back for you as you're planning ahead, right? Your retirement, regardless of what your current situation is, right? Always be planning for that. And if you're a regular listener, you know, we preach kind of staying calm when there are major market swings, kind of staying in the market, being long term here. For much of 22, though, that has been a difficult thing, a difficult pill, I think, for a lot of people to swallow because the swing is just down down, down yeah, week yeah. after week. Um, and if you are, though, tempted during this time to just do something with your investments, to mess with them right now, we would say here's a few things you should consider. Well, and and I'm going to jump the gun here a little bit and say before you reallocate, first of all, it's not generally the best of time to reallocate uh, your investments from stock to bonds or whatever the allocation changes you're thinking about after a market drop. It's usually best to do it during good times. Yeah, totally agree. And I'll piggyback on that. Take a hard look at taxes before you make any decisions. 401ks, IRAs, yeah, tax deferred. Knock yourself out on changes, I I suppose. Um, But, you know, you might be looking at a taxable account, a joint investment account, where an allocation change on money that you may have invested 10 or 15 years ago, and you might say, you know what, I'm going to move some from stocks to bonds. You may be looking at some major, major gains. So be real aware before you make any changes. What are the tax consequences? I would say just be aware of how you're feeling right now, right? If you are not stomaching this time, I don't think you make a a change, but you wait until the markets are steady, the the waters are calmer, the storm has passed, however you want to put it. And then you remember very clearly, wait a second, I wasn't so comfortable during that time. So how do I reallocate to a place where when the next storm does come, I'm able to stomach it a little bit better, right? But just kind of take note of how you're feeling right now. Um, I'm also a big fan of like, we say this time and time again, having cash on the sidelines, set aside an emergency fund, right? If you are getting close to retirement, first of all, I I feel sorry for anyone who is because I know just the added stress of the markets being all over the place. That's that's not a fun place to be. But if you've got cash on the sidelines that you can live off of and you're not pulling off of your investments when you're down, the losses are merely on paper at that point. You know, this is this is a perfect time to be addressing emergency funds. And and maybe that's not the the phrase we should use, Amy. You know, it's really just an extra bucket of cash that doesn't go down. And, you know, if your car just broke down or you need a new roof and instead of selling investments while they're down, you pull it out of that emergency fund, that'll still have money in it after you take that money out. Um, That that's a pretty good option to have. And then replenish your emergency funds when the investments bounce back. They will. They always have. Yeah. And just don't check your account right now. If you are someone who just gets so <laughs> agitated, well, you, you know, but you and I, have you checked yours? No, I, I haven't checked mine in weeks. Me I, neither. I know it's going to be fine. And, Me, and there are neither. people that will check it three, four, five times a day. Yeah. And if you own mutual funds, they only price once after the market's closed. So they're not going to change right. during the course of the in day. In real but time. So many people do. I know. My husband, I like, sometimes like will smack his hand away from his phone. Like, don't check. (laughs) It doesn't matter. We're not going to do anything with it. So you're just making yourself nauseous for absolutely no reason. Um, Just don't check right now. Don't check. It's okay. 
There will be a time when you will check and you will be able to sleep at night. Here's a Simply Money point. Big investing decisions should be unemotional ones. And if you need help, turn to an objective, qualified financial advisor. So is the housing market finally slowing down? Is there is there a norm in sight? Some important information if you are a buyer or a seller next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. The real estate market over the past few years is unprecedented, crazy, insane. I don't know what kind of adjective you prefer to use, but there's a lot of people wondering, is it slowing down now that interest rates are going up? Joining us tonight is a real estate expert, Michelle Sloan, of course, owner of Remax Time. You might know her from Sloan Sells Homes, the show right here on 55KRC. Michelle, that's the question. Are we slowing down yet? Um, it's a really good question, Amy. I wish I had an answer. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not quite yet. Is that the, is that what we're seeing? It, is, it really isn't. It, it no. I take wow. it back. It is slowing down a bit. Okay. It's interesting because you know the market is changing, but it's changing rather slowly. Even though the interest rates are going up, in my opinion, at a fairly rapid pace. Yeah. We are seeing the number of buyers still be out there. So instead of having uh, on any one listing, instead of having 20 offers, we may only have 10. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so the change is happening. It's going to be a little slower because we just don't have the inventory. We don't have the homes to sell. So we remain in a one-of-a-kind housing market. Not only in Cincinnati, but the entire country is seeing a lot of the same over and over again. Very few homes to sell. I know some people who've been trying to find a home in Florida for months and months, and it's just not happening. So we're not alone. I can definitely say that we are not alone. So what is it going to take, do you think, to, to slow this market down, to normalize it? Will we ever see what we would have considered normal back in 2019 again? I don't. I don't think so. I don't huh. think there is a new normal because we've been waiting for it. Now, the interest rates, again, industry colleagues have said that interest rates may be as high as seven. I don't know if you've heard that yeah. that number yet. But, you know, if they're seven by the end of the year, that's going to slow things down even more. And our market is kind of slow just because we have the lack of inventory. The prices, the sales prices are going up so dramatically. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to find that balance. So I think if the interest rates go up to seven or higher by the end of this year, and then we head into that R word, your recession, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then those rates may come trickling back down again because they're trying to spur us to be buying homes and properties and that sort of thing. So I don't think, honestly, a new normal, it, our new normal is going to be fewer and fewer homes on the market for the long term. I'm expecting two to five years. So currently the latest statistics from the Cincinnati Area Board of Realtors is the fact that, you know, the median sales price is has raised from year to year over 5%. Wow. So the prices are going up, continuing. The days on market, this is the number of days on market that you put your house on the market today and how many days it takes you to get under contract. 
two. <laughs> two. <laughs> two. And just remind us, because th- this craziness has been with us for so long, I don't think we remember what normal was, but go back to 2018, oh my gosh. 2019 well, for went... me. What, what would yeah. have been a normal time span for that? Um, maybe a couple of months, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, so when I first got into the business, and now I'm starting to date myself, at least in the real estate world, a little bit. But, you know, it wasn't uncommon for us to have be on the market for a year, six months to a year. And now it's just days. So we're having to, our whole mindset has been turned on its head. And, you know, that's what buyers and sellers have to understand that this is, even though we've been dealing with these kind of lower inventory, it keeps getting a little bit lower, even though this time of year, normally we see higher, you know, more and more homes coming on the market. And we're still seeing that. But many of those homes are getting, they're getting snapped up really quickly still. So days on market from the time you list your home until the time you have a contract is just two days. And it's been two days for the last three or four months. Wow. So that that's not changing. So, you know, you kind of think it's the market slowing down. That's Those statistics to me don't indicate that we're really slowing down that much. Doesn't sound like it. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We're joined by our real estate expert, Michelle Sloan. If you are wondering if the market is slowing down, well, the latest statistics don't show that, at least not yet. Michelle, I think for a lot of people, the question is, maybe I've been on the sidelines, right? And and when is the time going to be right? And should I wait? And if the Federal Reserve hikes rates a few more times, is, is that the time to jump in? What do you say to people who are trying to figure out, is this timing right or should I wait? Personally, I tell most of my clients or even people who call and ask for advice, if you are ready to sell your home now, sell it as long as you have a place to move to. If you are ready to buy a home now, do it. Get your get all of your money in order. Get your pre-approval letter. Get all your ducks in a row because when the opportunity comes, you have to be ready to jump. So I don't see that things are going to be changing all that much. So here's the thing. Do it. Be ready. If you're ready, do it because there's, all, there's never going to be, I don't think, an optimal time. Remember when there went, remember the time when people were waiting for the rates to drop and they wanted to make sure that the rates were at their lowest, you know, what's the bottom, what's the bottom. Well, does that really matter if you need a place to live? Right. (laughs) That's the question. So I think if you are ready and in your heart of hearts, you're ready, then it's just do it. Don't wait because you could be waiting for years is what I'm thinking. What do you say to the people who jumped in, I don't know, last year and got burned, right? They put in all the offers and every time they were outbid and they, they stepped back out. I know, I know several people kind of in that place that just oh, yeah. going to hold off and wait. What do you say to those people? Like, should they jump back in now or should they wait a little longer? Well, I think they should jump back in if they understand that the buying power that they had a year ago they don't have any more. Mm. So if they were looking at a $250,000 home based on their income, based on, you know, their down payment and all of that stuff, and based on the rates being 3%, if the rates are 5, 6 or 7%, they may only be able to afford a home that's $200,000. So, you know, that is what is changing quite dramatically, especially and I honestly think who is it hurting? It is hurting the first time home buyers mm-hmm. the most. Mm-hmm. 
Great advice. If you are someone sitting on the sidelines waiting for the markets to get back to normal, our real estate expert Michelle Sloan saying, hey, normal may never come this way again. Just get your ducks in a row and get out there. Make sure you're working with a good realtor. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Straight ahead, ways to save on travel, something that's incredibly timely right now. I don't know if you knew it was Benjamin Franklin who penned this phrase. Very smart man, very true. In this world, nothing can be certain except death and taxes. I thought it was Nathan Backrack, to be honest. (laughs) He has said it so many times. We'll give that credit, though, to Benjamin Franklin. Even in retirement, right? You're retired, you're living on this fixed income, and yes, you still owe Uncle Sam money. And this is where I really think um, that having and partnering with an advisor and a smart tax accountant um, can really help you because if you plan ahead of time, and I think so many people, Steve, when you think about taxes, you think about tax preparation, right? Like what you do in April in order to get the, the information to the IRS, but there's tax planning yeah. that happens year round and this is this is where you really can kind of make the difference with your money. Hey, Amy, I have sat down with so many very hard working, successful, smart people that that you know, they've saved a lot of money over the yeah. course of the years. You know, they they've sliced it thin, they didn't do everything maybe they wanted to do and and they've got plenty of money to retire at their dream age, but it's all in uh, 401ks. Yeah. And and that's fine. It's a really efficient way to save money. But if you've got a little emergency fund in the bank and a big fat 401k or, or with a married couple, a couple of real nice 401ks, when that money comes out to live off of, it's all taxable. And, yes. and you know, that's OK. You went into it eyes open and, and you know, you got pre-tax investments during your higher earning years. So uh, the tax break was important. But, you know, you're going to have to get a car sometime in retirement. Maybe you'll buy a different house. Maybe you'll take a big trip. Maybe you'll buy a vacation home. And if all of that money is coming out of a 401k or an IRA, that's a lot of taxable income. And it's cha-ching, tax- cha-ching, Yeah, cha-ching. it's ordinary income. It's taxed yeah. at the same rate as if you earned it on a job. And that's why, for some people, like the Roth IRA makes so much sense, or the Roth 401k option. Yes, you pay taxes now. You're locking in that tax rate now. But hey, that money grows, and it compounds through the years. You take that money out tax-free. You talked about the car that you're having to buy in retirement. Uh You're you're just pulling the money out. You're buying the car. You're not pulling the money out, paying taxes on part of it, and then what's left over, right? Yeah. You're paying for the car. And and so this is where, for some people, um, Roth conversions can start to make sense, right? Especially if to the person that you were just talking about, Steve, if there's someone who has a big, just hefty, fat 401k, right? Traditional IRAs, everything they have is tax deferred. You know when you're going to have to take that money out, that million dollars you have in the bank or whatever is actually far less than it when you figure out how much you're going to owe Uncle well, Sam. Yeah, but be careful about Roth conversions because there, there's no there's no free lunch. There's no way of avoiding taxes. if You have to pay taxes a, when you a, make the exactly. conversion. Exactly. Absolutely. Con- a Roth conversion is taking money from your traditional IRA and converting it into a Roth so it becomes tax-free on distributions after five years. The big catch is, yeah, yeah you know, there's no free lunch. You will pay tax on that converted amount. So if you convert $30,000 from traditional to a Roth IRA, you're going to show an extra $30,000 of income. 
uh, that particular year and pay tax on it. So you got to really coordinate this with your accountant. And it may not make sense for you, but what I, you can also do contributory uh, Roth IRAs. Um, well, maybe you can. It depends on your income. But, but you know, it's, it's just so nice in retirement to, to, okay, I do need a car. How about I take it from the Roth where it's tax-free instead of the traditional IRA or traditional 401k? What a game changer, Amy. I, I mean, that is just an awesome option to have. I'll give you another one, just plain old taxable brokerage accounts. Mm-hmm. I sat down with somebody this morning, and they need a new roof. Normal thing, you know, for a yep. retiree. And she was going to take it out of her IRA, and I pointed out, well, you've got a taxable account, and based on your income, you may actually be in the 0% tax bracket on long-term capital gains, and you're only paying tax on the profit, not every dollar that comes out. So, you know, having these different buckets of money in retirement are so key, but it's so important to set these up before retirement so they can grow. Yeah, but it gives you options. It gives you flexibility when you're making these decisions in retirement. And if you are looking to avoid Uncle Sam, right, the best that you can, you have to understand how the system works. If you're putting money into that 401k and all of a sudden you decide you need money for a down payment for a house or you name whatever it is that you think you should pull the money out of that 401k for, well... If, if it's not written into the plan where you can borrow money out, well, then you're going to pay a 10% penalty to Uncle Sam to then access the money that you put into your own account. Yeah, if you're if you're under 59 and a half and you take a, a non-qualified distribution, there, there's a couple of exceptions. But yeah, you might, besides getting hit with tax, pay an additional 10% tax penalty. Um, some, some plans have uh, 401k loans. I'm still not a big fan of those, though, Amy, because, you know, what if what if you lose your job? Guess what? If you have a balance on your 401k loan, it's very likely that you have less than 90 days, in some cases a lot less than 90 days, to pay it off in full or else that's considered a distribution. And again, if you're under 59 and a half, expect taxes and, and very possibly a 10 percent additional tax penalties. So last resort kind of stuff for a 401k loan, but you know, they may they may be an option. Here's a simply money point. Paying taxes, yes, it is absolutely inevitable, but paying less in taxes, you can actually do that with careful planning. Next, we've got some great hacks you've probably never heard before. How to save money when you're traveling this year, especially with everything being so high. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. You know, Steve, the stats say that people understand we're all paying more to travel this year and some people aren't going to do it. I don't believe it. Right. No I don't kidding. believe I believe that we're making changes based on inflation. But I think there's just so many people that are just so ready to get back out there and travel again that we're paying. We're going to pay to do it. We're going to get out there. But there are some things you can do to try and save. There, there are, Amy. And I've heard this kind of as an urban legend. But there's truth to it. I, have you ever gone on and checked flights? Uh, you know, hey, let's think about going on a trip. Check a flight. Eh, I'm not ready to make a decision. And check the same flight like a couple of hours later yep. and it's higher priced. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and I had a buddy tell me they track you. And if you're on the same computer, they know you've you've already tried once and they're going to raise the price. Oh, come on. It can't be like it is. Yeah. They, they track the cookies on your computer. So the first hack we're going to talk about is use, and a lot of people don't know this exists, but use incognito mode 
whenever you're you're researching flights or trips. Yeah, or just clear your web web browser, right? I don't know how to do that. Yeah, well, there's, a, <laughs> I think, a thing up at the top. I don't even know. But you can easily Google how to do this. And the reason why is because you name the you name Delta, American, whatever yeah. it is, whatever the site is, they know, okay, Steve Sprovac has checked this flight three times today. We can, we can inch these prices up, and his FOMO is going to kick in, right? There must be only a couple of seats left, and so then he's going to pay more now for this seat because you're afraid it's going to either be sold out or a lot more tomorrow. So they almost play these mind games with you. And yes, these prices are constantly changing supply and demand, right? There's a lot of people flying during certain times. But if you have just checked a flight, what are the odds that an hour later it's gone up, right? But that's how they can kind of rig the system against you. You say, I guess I missed that opportunity. I'm not going to miss it again. And it's, it's not really what's going on. They're playing games with your computer. Yes. You, you know, it's not really a seat having been sold. That frosts me for totally different reasons. But, you know, if you don't want to deal with it, just use incognito mode. I'm a huge fan of I put everything on a credit card and then I pay it all off every month. Yeah. And the one the number one reason I do that is for absolute travel rewards. I've got Backup points. Yeah. I've got a hotel points and I've got an airline points card and we put everything on there and we're super strategic about how we use it. And right now I'm so glad that we are. First of all, we've got a family of six and when we travel it is pretty pricey anyway, but we save points uh, and we, we hoard them for times when we want to travel. Um, yeah. And then it's amazing how much that you can save. And we were just out with some friends the other night who've never done that. They've just never amassed the travel points. And they're like, we pay for everything whenever we go. It's nice if you can kind of plan things this way, especially, of course, right now. Yeah. And I'll give you one more before we uh, wrap things up. It's bundle. Okay. Yeah. Believe it or not, Costco is some of the best deals out there for traveling. I mean, if you're going to stay at a hotel it. and you're going to fly and you're going to rent a car, if you get it all through the same source, you can save a boatload of money. We just joined Costco. I know we're late to this game, though, earlier this year, and I couldn't believe the trips that are available through there. If you're a member, check it out. It's actually worth your time. But any kind of those bundle packages that are available to you, actually right now with inflation so high, might make a lot of sense. You've been listening tonight to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station.